It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flint composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Here's your host. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome to the show, everybody. I'm Tom Sumner, and uh, this is kind of a back-to-school edition in in many, many ways, as we uh, uh, have some very interesting guests coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour. A uh, management professor from Cornell talks about... um, how the B Corp movement is remaking capitalism in his book, Better Business. We'll talk with uh, Christopher Marcus uh, during the third half of our three-hour tour about that. Before that, we'll hear from University of South Carolina law professor and public education advocate Derek Black about his new book, Schoolhouse Burning, that sounds the alarm that attacks on public education our attacks on the cornerstone of our democracy. But we head to uh, law school first because uh, something very significant has happened in the news just uh, in the last few days, last Friday evening, the notorious RBG passed away. And not from a drive-by shooting, but uh, from complications from pancreatic cancer. And she's uh, she's been sick, but hung in there until age 87. She passed away on Friday, which has really turned things upside down. Normally, it'd be uh, another week or two before Brendan Beery and I would be getting back together to talk about the new session of the Supreme Court, which comes up the first Monday in October. But uh, things are moving a little quicker than that, and we're going to talk about that with constitutional law professor Brendan Beery, who joins me by phone. Brendan, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Tom. Happy to be here. Um this is huge, um, mm-hmm. the timing of this, but, but not just that, but the stature of, of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and her popularity. Has there ever been a uh, Supreme Court justice as well-known? I doubt it. Um, I was trying to know, think I, about I suppose... that before, you know, before we got, uh, before we got, together on the phone this morning, I, I was trying to think, and I thought, well, a lot of people would recognize uh, the name Thurgood Marshall or um, Sandra Day O'Connor, but I can't right. think of a, a, a sitting justice who ever had the the kind of star power she had. 
not in our lifetime. I, I think uh, maybe if you go back to uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes, right? Yeah, perhaps. Uh, yeah, but it, even then, you know, you're not talking about somebody who's a, a pop culture figure, you know, the way RPG was. So, yeah, I, I think it's she. She is in our lifetime certainly the best known justice. That in and of itself um, is is kind of significant that she's a pop culture figure because pop culture isn't something that really monitors the workings of the Supreme Court. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Uh, in she, fact, pop she culture... She had her, little would, you know, her workout routine and stuff like that, that which kind of was popular. And and for people who are, are curious and interested in finding out more about her, because she, she had not just her time on the court, which has its own special legacy, but her entire life, she... Um, took on challenges and and led a very interesting and um, uh, successful life and there have been a couple of movies that are pretty good i think uh, public mm-hmm. television did a documentary and i think there's an independent film i think called rbg um right and and so you might want to uh while you're deciding what your binge watching schedule is on Netflix or whatever venues you select, you might keep an eye out for that because it's uh, her life is is one worthy of uh, a little bit of study, I think. It is, and you know, um, she wasn't just a, a judge; she was an advocate before that, and uh, she is one of the leading reasons why um, that this is, uh, I think, an interesting legal point. Um, the, it's always been understood that the Equal Protection Clause applied to ethnicity, right? That, that the promise of equal protection meant that, you, that the government can't discriminate against people on the basis of race or ethnicity. But there was an open question for a long time whether the Equal Protection Clause also applied or protected women from You're discrimination. You're talking about the 14th the Amendment. Right, exactly. And um, she was the one who went in front of the Supreme Court and made this uh, so sublimely uh, simple <laughs> and elegant argument. The Equal Protection Clause says that no state may deny to any person within its jurisdiction, uh, so it doesn't say anything about ethnicity, it says may, no state may deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. And she went in front of the Supreme Court and said, last time I checked, uh, a woman is a person, uh, and convinced the Supreme Court that that, that broad language and the Equal Protection Clause, uh, as you say, in, in the 14th Amendment, uh, also applied to women because women had suffered uh, a history of discrimination in this country um, you know, for a long time. We're not allowed to vote. We're not allowed to hold property in their own names. Uh, all kinds of, of uh, discriminatory measures uh, that have been aimed at women. So um, the, the court found that uh, gender and ethnicity have, have some of those things in common. And so I, so I just, you know, wanted to throw that out there, too. She's really was a pioneer uh, in getting the court uh, to, to accept even that gender was what we call a suspect class, right? A, right, uh, right. a group that you can't, uh, that you're not allowed to discriminate against. And, um, and, and the, the, she did that as an advocate. And then she wound up uh, authoring uh, probably the, the leading case in that area uh, called U.S. versus Virginia, otherwise known as the Virginia Military Institute, the VMI case. Um, 
and she authored that opinion uh, saying that a, a publicly run uh, uh, institution of higher education cannot exclude women. So she went from an advocate getting the court just to accept that it was even, you know, <laughs> even arguable that, that gender was, uh, was a suspect classification to being the justice who authored the leading case, uh, right, uh, barring gender-based discrimination. And her dissent um, essentially became the framework for uh, the uh, Ledbetter Law. Yes, that's right. Um, that's that's another thing about uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. It's uh, one of the things I've been doing is kind of um, mining her old opinions and trying to come up with you know what were the you know what were the big earth-shattering opinions. Um, that she authored, and the VMI case uh, obviously is, is at the top of the, of the list. But it's interesting what you say because I found that most of her most powerful writing is actually in dissent. Um, even recently, um, her dissents in cases, uh, well, her dissent in Bush versus Gore was was a classic, <laughs> uh, uh, and and since then, you know, since two thousand. Um, She's been in dissent quite often, especially in cases around uh, religion, um, you know, uh, the Establishment Clause, uh, things like that. Um, and she has, she had said, or apparently had told, you know, I hear uh, some reporters who were close to her uh, uh, reporting that, that she had said that the reason she spent so much time writing her dissents uh, and, and that they were so powerful um, even in, in relation to her majority opinions, uh, was that she wanted her dissents, and this, this, this kind of dovetails off of your point, she wanted her dissents to form the basis for future opinions on a more progressive court. Um, and, of course, the irony is that her death uh, sets that out probably for a generation uh, in terms of <laughs> a more progressive court is nowhere on the horizon. And, yeah, I want to talk about that a little bit, but first, um, I just, um, I, I want to squeeze in her friendship with uh, Antonin Scalia, which had a lot of people scratching their heads. They couldn't have been more diametrically opposed in terms of the positions they would take, but they had a, a, a genuine fondness for each other. Right. It was, that was really uh, a charming thing. <laughs> <laughs> to watch uh, while it while it lasted, it's the two of them um, shared New Year's Eve together almost every year. Uh, they, they were famously fo uh, photographed together riding an elephant in India. <laughs> Probably my favorite. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's there's nothing cooler than a couple of Supreme Court justices riding an elephant. That's right. Um, That's right. I, I, I was wondering if there were, you know, uh, some kind of federal security people, you know, they're having uh, coronary events. <laughs> I, I would Watching think. two Supreme Court justices, right, to, to, <laughs> ready to topple off an elephant. <laughs> which, which is kind of a, a way to fall. Um, but uh, they actually, you know, it, it, as charming as it was, their joint appearances in, in various places, including riding the elephant, um, mm -hmm. it's, it's also kind of a model for everybody, isn't it? Yeah, you know, I, I, I think about that because, you know, I, I can't be the only one who's noticed on, on social media. Um, you know, it's, it's got to the point where, and I, I understand it because the, the issues people are disagreeing about 
they're political, but they're more than that. When you get to things like LGBT rights and uh, gender rights and ethnicity and racism, these are kind of personal to a lot of people. Uh, but somehow or other, um, Justices Ginsburg and Scalia managed to disagree about basically all of those things. About everything. Uh, and, yeah, right, <laughs> and still be very civil and even somewhat affectionate toward each other. Yes, that's right. They, they, they shared a passion for opera. Um, and, and so they just, you know, they focused their relationship on the things, uh, you know, that the interests uh, that they shared, the passions that they shared. Although and, uh, I don't think Scalia ever actually made it on stage in an opera. No, not that I'm aware of. That's right. But Ginsburg did. Uh, that's right. That's right. She had some a couple of cameos, right? From yeah, her, a non-speaking part in a. Oh. I can't remember which one it was, or even what year. I want to say it was 2012, but, but yet, uh, and and she had <laughs> told people that she would like to have been uh, an opera diva, but she was uh, stuck with the range of a sparrow. <laughs> yeah, right. right. That's well. Yeah, you you couldn't fit. Uh, big lungs and that and 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 you know she she was famously uh, petite, <laughs> a tiny little thing, um, and uh, that's that's one that's another one reason I think she was a pop you know a pop star is that um, she's uh, you know she was uh, very small in stature and yet so so big you know um, I, I don't know how you pull that off because she was uh, slight slight in stature and also very quiet in her personal life and yet she had this powerful um when she spoke you know people listened and um the the lines that she would deliver one of my favorites was when when the supreme court was holding its uh, oral argument on same-sex marriage one of the cases on same-sex marriage um well there, there she had a couple of zingers in a, in a number of cases but this one stuck out because i <laughs> I don't know where she came up with it. Uh, one of the lawyers was saying, well, same-sex couples, they don't have to get married. They can call it a civil union or something else. And she interrupted and said, what, like like a skim milk marriage? <laughs> and the room erupted into laughter. <laughs> you know, she she didn't say much, but she'd get these little zingers in that it caught everybody's attention. And and, uh, and, and she, so. like Scalia, was, was good-humored. Right. You know, right. it, it, sometimes it takes a sense of humor to get past the the vitriol that that passes for uh, political debate in this country. Right. Yeah, and on a lot of the crises in life, right? I mean, I think a lot of us are finding out right now we better have a sense of humor about serious things like a pandemic because I don't either. Right. That'll help you get through. Yeah, I'm on a COVID diet right now. Uh, <laughs> What does that consist of? Well, it's it's cutting back on all the food that I ate because I was bored. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> I did a lot of boredom eating. Hey, we have to take a short break, but Brendan, when we come back, I want to talk about what happens now on the first Monday of October, but I also want to talk about the race for replacement um, when we come back. My guest is uh, Brendan Beery, a constitutional law professor. We're talking about the... Uh, uh, backlash of uh, the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. We'll be right back with more after this. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-Double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. A social distancing tip. Putting distance between yourself and others is critical to slowing the spread of coronavirus. So here are ways to stay in contact without the physical contact part. Call, send a text, set up a video conference, post on social media, dedicate a song on the radio. If you have symptoms of fever, dry cough, and shortness of breath, call your health care provider before going to their office. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part, because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Your calls matter. Join me and Andrea weekdays from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern to talk about whatever you want to talk about. The Tom Sumner Program has open phone lines Monday through Friday to hear from you. How's 2020 working out for you so far? How about those damn roads? Call in live at 810-339-8255. It's all about you. We'll be streaming live at TomSumnerProgram.com and simulcast on WFOV 92.1 FM in Flint. Foil hats are optional. You thought you had every Elvis record made, but wait, Elvis sings again, this time from heaven. That's right, Elvis from heaven. Yes, here Elvis from Graceland in the Sky, soul-stirring versions of epic proportions. You'll hear Elvis crooning, Pearly Gate Rock, all dug up, lying in the chapel, and 11 others. This record also includes a special Elvis message. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Elvis Presley. Order before midnight tonight and receive this Elvis Presley commemorative casket keychain. Open it up. Yes, the king inside. A must for any Elvis fan. Order yours today. To order your Elvis from Heaven, send $9.95 in check or money order to Elvis from Heaven, P.O. Box 714, Cleo, Michigan, 44487. Or save COD charges and phone 555-5554. Use Master Charge or Visa, Canadian residents, add $3. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology. Engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. Tom Sumner. Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. My guest this hour is constitutional law professor Brendan Beery from WMU Cooley Law in uh, Tampa. And uh, he's our regular go-to guy when we talk about Supreme Court things. And, of course, we're talking about the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and, um, and, and the chaos that seems to have uh, erupted uh, in a, what, what feels like a race to get uh, her replacement picked. Um, Brendan, welcome back, and thanks for sticking around, as always. Sure, my pleasure. Um, this is not new that a Supreme Court justice would die close to an election. In fact, a lot of people are talking about, well, you said this in 2016, now you're saying this, um, uh-huh. with regard to... Uh, you know, senators, uh, you know, saying whether or not there should be a rush to fill the seat. Um, what ha- what has happened in the past? I mean, we know about the, uh, was it, uh, I, I can never remember if it's Merrick Garland or Garland Merrick. But, yes. but uh, with, with that appointment in 2016, um, that was uh, put off because... It was felt that the new president um, should make that decision, but here we have right. a possibility of reelecting a president, where, as right. in that election, it was an open seat. Um, what happens with this process? The president says he's going to announce a, a, a nominee by Friday or Saturday, and. Mitch McConnell has said that he's going to get a vote in the Senate, and I think more mm-hmm. recently he said before the election. Um, is it possible in 40-some days or about 40 days to to complete the nomination process and get a Supreme Court justice sworn in? It is possible. Um, it would be um Somewhat, uh, well, I can't say unprecedented, but it would be unusual. Um, the uh, and, and it sort of depends on who the nominee is. Sometimes, for example, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg herself, it was a 50-day. She sailed through, right? And I went, so it took 50 days. Uh, you have somebody like um, Kavanaugh, who is more controversial. That takes up more time. So I think his was in the 80s, or close to 90 days. Um, and that's sort of the norm would sort of be in that 70 to 80 range uh, just because the Senate has to hold hearings. They, you know, they have to do background. Uh, now the White House, of course, has already done background checks on anybody they're going to put up. Um, but typically there's, the, there's time for the Senate then to, to do a deep dive, too, uh, once a nominee is, is named. Uh, so it would, it would be to get it done before the election uh, would be a lightning speed. Uh, particularly because this is not going to be an uncontroversial, <laughs> uncontroversial uh, nomination. That's just not in the cards. Um, well, of the so names that have been suggested as being on the short list, the women that uh, the president is considering, um, is is there a safe bet among them that that maybe le- leads to an easy confirmation? I don't think so, uh, just because of the circumstances. It's not because of the candidate, the nominees, them, or you know, potential nominees themselves. Uh, 
you know, I think, for example, uh, uh, Amy Amy Coney uh, Barrett is sort of the leading contender according yeah. to the you know uh, the you know the media reports, and um, you know, I think on paper she's a pretty safe uh, choice. I don't, there's nothing terribly controversial about her, except uh, unless you're <laughs> talking about her ideology. Uh, then you know, then we're back to that. You know, that's going to be uh, that's controversial. But in terms of uh, her qualifications and her, uh, you know, her writing and all that, I mean, there's nothing. There's nothing. There, there don't seem to be any skeletons in the closet to be worried about. Um, but on the other hand, as you know, in the circumstances we're in, she's going to lose every Democratic vote. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, there was a time when Supreme Court justices would be confirmed with, you know, 80 votes, 90 votes, um, uh, where there was a consensus that if somebody is qualified, um, you know, and, uh, and and they have a good judicial temperament and uh, all that, then, you know, they go on the court. Uh, that's the, not anymore. Uh, you know, it's, it's uh, um, the presidents have taken to, uh, to appointing people who are very young so that their you know their legacy on the court lasts well after you know they're they're gone uh that's uh there, there there's uh president trump in fact uh, just mentioned that he's considering a 38 year old uh who's a, a judge on the fourth circuit um uh who you know i mean uh, that would be unbelievable <laughs> to put somebody who's 38 uh, on the supreme court uh but that's you know, so we've gotten in, into this routine where um, presidents pick people who are ideologically, or they try to anyway, right, pick somebody who's ideologically extremely predictable. So it's not just that they're fair-minded, it's that they always vote a certain way, right? So that, that so presidents look at that, and then uh, look at their age, right? Uh, that's, those, are, those are sort of the two leading um, uh, factors now, uh, so in picking somebody, and uh to his credit, um, President Obama, uh, when he nominated Merrick Garland, um, to broke that habit. Uh, he, or at least he, he thought he was <laughs> breaking that habit. He picked somebody who was, I don't know, 60-ish, um, Merrick Garland. And Merrick Garland was not ideological at all. Uh, uh, Republicans respected him. Democrats respected him. He was just known as a fair-minded judge. So uh, Obama tried to get back... Uh, to, to that kind of a nomination. But, of course, that one, uh, Mitch McConnell said he wasn't even going to have a hearing on it So because it was uh, an Obama uh, appointee. And, uh, uh, of course, you know, that, I don't know, in terms of, um, you know, the, the possibility of the re-election of a president, to my mind, that's a distinction without a difference. Uh, you're still talking about the people having their voice heard uh, one way or the other. Um, and and certainly Lindsey Graham, <laughs> he's got himself in some trouble because he actually said, I'm sure you've seen uh, the clips, he actually said uh, when he was opposing Merrick Garland, he said, if the Republican is elected in 2016 and in the last year of his first term, he appoints, uh, tries to appoint somebody, I will oppose it and you can quote me on that. Yeah, you can hold um, my you can hold my words against yeah. me. He actually said yeah, that, right. and and people <laughs> are, but he has still done the uh, the incredible flip flop. Yes, right. So it's you know it's and this is not healthy. <clears throat> um, you know, this is just not healthy for our institutions uh, to have you know one one set of rules for one party and another set of rules for another party. Uh, look, if, if or that's rules the rule, that change that's the rule. based on the circumstance. 
Yes, right, right. And, and, and making this, up rules to begin with. <laughs> yeah, right. right. The, the thing that, that uh, there's been so much speculation about this, and it, it potentially uh, can go in several different directions, but there are already threats that if the... Um, you know, if this goes through either before the election or during lame duck, uh, if um, if the uh, uh, Democrats take back the Senate or take mm-hmm. the Senate, um, right, change the the majority, and um, former Vice President uh, Joe Biden is elected president, so you have a Democrat in the White House and a Democrat in both houses of Congress, or Democrats uh, um, in the majority, that they they might look at, for the purposes of trying to balance the court, adding a couple of uh, seats to the Supreme right. Court, which is something FDR tried to do. But what is the process for that? Can they do that? How How much... Uh, does the Senate decide that? Do both houses decide that? Is it an act of law? Is it a, a constitutional amendment? What is the procedure for adding seats to the Supreme Court? Right, that's a great question, and a lot of people are asking that. Um, <clears throat> so the Constitution is silent on how many justices there have to be. I think there have been nine for so long that I think a lot of people assume that that's written into the Constitution. Um, but in fact, all I did until recently. Congress, yeah. Right, right, and and it's justified, right, <laughs> in that belief. I mean, uh, that's it's interesting, you know. Uh, it's kind of a weird story. I, I remember when I was a law student. Um, I, uh, which, which, uh, well, I was studying constitutional law, and I was just starting, and I, I, I uh, bought this, uh, you know, set of cassette tapes. That tells you how old I. Am. <laughs> To, uh, cassette tapes on constitutional law. I can't remember who the professor was, but one of the first things the, the professor said on the tape was, we have a written constitution and an unwritten constitution. And that stuck with me because I was thinking, well, how do you have an unwritten constitution? But, you know, we have these, these kind of uh, traditions uh, and historical norms that develop, and one of them has been uh, nine justices. Uh, however, you know, as a, as a technical matter um no that's not written in the constitution so it would take nothing but an act of congress to change the number of uh seats on the supreme court there just hasn't been uh the political will to do that now would that Uh, be a a, just a standard act of of congress a simple majority in the house a simple majority in the senate and uh, a presidential uh, signature or veto that would be it um and so the only thing that would have to happen and that's easy enough is uh as far as I know, um, a law like that would still be subject to the filibuster. But if Democrats are in charge of the Senate, they can just change the filibuster rules. Uh, so they'd have to get rid of the filibuster. Um, and then it would just take a simple majority in the Senate. Uh, and that's all you... So, if, yeah, if Democrats have the House, the Senate, and the White House, they can. They will have the power to change the number of seats uh, on the Supreme Court um, with, a, with a mere uh, a bare majority. Um, you know, whether they'll do that, I don't know. I mean, Joe Biden has said in the past that he's uh, against that, um, but apparently uh, he was asked yesterday about it and refused to answer the question. So, uh, you know, silence is, is <laughs> you know, obviously he's got somebody in his ear saying, you know, you have to hold this over their heads or they're going to jam this through. Um, 
So there's, I there, wouldn't be surprised. The um, if there is uh, an appointment um, confirmed before the election. Um, and and there's lots to talk about with regard to the political fallout from that. But um, right. but I'm curious uh, what what happens with the Supreme Court on the first Monday in October? What do they? Is it business as usual, um, right. or or will they put some things off, uh, expecting the arrival of a new justice in the very near future, mm-hmm. or um, mm-hmm. and and also. Um, how soon after they're confirmed does a justice actually start sitting on the court? Is there Supreme Court school? <laughs> right. No, there's no Supreme Court school. Uh, so as soon, as soon as they're confirmed, you know, they get a commission. Um, but that's pretty much instantaneous. Uh, and uh, they're on the court. And um, uh, now the, in, in October, there's no way they're going to get you know they're going to have somebody by the as you say the first monday of i mean that's right around the corner so yeah that's um, just a week or two away uh, we yeah we're right. barely going to know the nominee by then <laughs> right right so but you know uh thanks to um the 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 senate's refusal to seat merrick garland uh the supreme court has gotten used to operating with eight <laughs> for a long time there almost a year uh they were they had eight justices um so they know how to operate like that, um, and I assume they will. It's interesting, uh, and you know when I looked, I uh, a couple of days ago looked at the court's docket, um, see what cases are are up. There isn't really, there's not a big controversial case. Of, of, I, I hate to say this, but you know I, I look at these trademark cases and tax law cases, and I think oh, that was kind of boring. <laughs> you know, that's that's the kind of thing where you could probably get a consensus on the court when the, when the court deals with issues like that. It's when it's the big issues uh, where the court tends to divide. And uh, the first big case that everybody's going to be familiar with when they hear about it is going is on the docket for November 10th, uh, and that is the court hearing oral argument on. The Affordable Care Act, <clears throat> and whether the Affordable Care Act should be should now be struck down, uh, because um, well, that, that's kind of technical reasons why, but uh, that's that's one people are going to be watching. I would have said, with Ginsburg still on the court, uh, that there would be very very little chance uh, that the Supreme Court would strike down the Affordable Care Act. Um, but if she's replaced by the candidates that were the, the names we're hearing, uh, I would now say it's very likely that the court will, uh, because that will get rid of the Affordable Care Act. So if you've got pre-existing conditions, you better start. You better start uh, thinking about what you're going to do about your health care. Um, the uh, <laughs> order up extra meds. Yeah, get your meds now. <laughs> right. uh, it's uh, but but that's because John Roberts. Um, you know, he used to be able, he had the option, if he wanted to, to go over with the four liberals. Um, as, as How many times have you and, you and I talked about this? Yeah, he could if be a swing an, vote. Right, and an institutionalist, right? And uh, he was the one, you know, who, he. It, it's clear from his prior rulings that he has no interest in, in invalidating uh, legislation as important as the Affordable Care Act once it has become sort of part of the fabric of, of you know, American life. 
uh, he's just not interested in it. But uh, so so he was in a position to protect it, or and, and he did it for institutional reasons. He said this is not what the Supreme Court should be doing if it can avoid it. Um, but uh, you know, to to protect the Affordable Care Act, he had to go over and, and form an alliance with the liberals. Well, now um, now it's six three. So John Roberts is one of six instead of one of five conservatives on the court, uh, which means, first of all, he can't form an alliance with the liberals um, to do what I just described. If he does, it's still the minority. (coughs) Right, he's still right. (laughs) Now he's one of four instead of five. Um, And and he also doesn't hold as much sway, and he's got, obviously he knows this, within the conservative, right, uh, a part of the court. you know, he used to be able to say to the other four conservatives, I'll vote with you if, right, uh, here's, how, here's right. who's going to write the opinion, here's how it's going to be written, here's what we're going to hang our hat on. Um, and now he can't do that anymore because they've got five without him. Um, so, so it really it kind of puts John Roberts in an interesting uh, situation. But at any rate, um, if, if they're talking about getting her, I'm saying her because as President Trump has said it's going to be a woman, if they're talking about getting a nominee seated before the election, coincidentally, that will be before the court hears the Affordable Care Act case. Um, and I'm, I am positive that that is on the minds of Republicans. And their backers. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's right. And, and there, yep, is a, there, there is a lot of politics to this. I mean, we've, we've heard from a couple of Republican senators that want to hold back, most notably Susan Collins, um, mm-hmm. that, that don't want to rush this through. But um, right. are, there, are there enough to block it? You know, my guess is that there are not. Um, I, I could certainly could be wrong about that. Um, but, you know, you're, you're looking at... Uh, well, Lindsey Graham I mean, says they have the votes. Yeah. And, um, and, and it's, it's, they only have two more. They can lose one more. Uh, so they, they are 53 Republicans in the Senate, and they've lost two already. So Collins and Murkowski said they won't, they won't go along with us. Col- and by the way, Susan Collins of Maine the reason she's not going along with it is she's in big trouble in Maine because of the Kavanaugh, the whole Kavanaugh thing. Uh, she was really the deciding vote in that. And um, so she's, she's <laughs> trying to get herself out of that trouble. Um, but at any rate, there, there's 53 Republicans. They're down to 51. So they can lose one more because the, they, would, they, they have uh, Mike Pence in their pocket, right? If there's a tie in the Senate, the vice president breaks the tie. Um, so they can lose one more uh, and still, uh, still uh, get this done. But look at they're they're sitting on a razor's edge here. If they lose two, so everybody's watching Romney. Um, people were watching Grassley, but apparently he's come out and said he's fine with this. Uh, Cory Gardner from Colorado. Um, you know, some of the some of the Republicans are more vulnerable. Uh, McSally from Arizona. Um, so um, we'll we'll see how they vote, but I I can't imagine that Mitch McConnell is is a wily politician. You know, I mean, I think I, I can't imagine he's out there saying <clears throat> we're going to have a vote on the Senate floor if he didn't have a sense of how it was going to turn out. Yeah, there's a, there's an old saying, you know, if you have the votes, vote. If you don't have the votes, talk. Right, right. exactly, exactly. And he's and he's saying vote. So uh, 
you know, I, I would ex I would expect they're going to do it, um, and then then we'll see what happens in the election. I don't know how it plays politically, and you know, I'm almost always wrong about that stuff. So. Yeah, that's the, and and there are a couple of different scenarios that are kind of interesting. One is if um, if uh, this decision is made before the election and it costs Republicans mm -hmm. the election for the White House and right. the Senate. Um, right. There's there's that possibility. There's the possibility that this uh, uh, takes long enough that it's going to end up being a vote during lame duck, during which time it's possible mm -hmm. to have a scenario where the Republicans have lost the Senate and the White House, and they do this in lame duck, right. you know, right. just under the wire while they still have the votes. And what right. does what does that do to um, politics the constitution just just to history if if that ends up being the case yeah it's <clears throat> to my mind and again you know I, I i don't have a crystal ball but um it's it's interesting you know I, you and i have actually talked before about what republicans call the biden rule um <laughs> right, where yeah, right. uh, uh, yes, remember that when George H.W. Bush was president um, and Biden was the chair of the Judiciary Committee, uh, he was actually simply musing that he, he thought, uh, I bet some justices are going to retire so that George H.W. Bush can replace them in the last year. Um, and he said, it, it was interesting, you know, when you look at it and parse it, uh, he said at the time, um, he didn't say the year before. First of all, that's one thing that, that, that I've heard that's, that's wrong. I mean, he never said that in the last year. He said the summer before an election. So we're talking, you know, the, the last few months. Um, he said the summer before an election, I, would, I, I, I don't think we should hold hearings on a new uh, justice uh, during a, a campaign until after the election. So that was interesting. By the the quote-unquote Biden rule actually you know, it sounds like he was open to uh, seating somebody during a lame duck session. He just didn't want uh, Senate hearings on a nomination during right, the last few months of a presidential campaign. Um, nonetheless, uh, if if the Senate, if, if it, if a party has lost, I mean, that's that, that throws a whole new wrinkle into it, right? If the if the a party has lost the White House and the Senate, and then is jamming through a nominee. Um, that harkens back to what John Adams did on his way out of office. <laughs> that really hasn't <laughs> happened since then. John Adams did that. Uh, they, he had lost the White House. His party had lost Congress. And so they created all kinds of new judgeships right, and jammed through all these uh, uh, new judges um, uh, right, to, to fill up the judiciary with, with their people, which, by the way, led to the famous case Marbury versus Madison. Um, and, uh, but... But you know, modern times, no. I mean, we don't do that. <laughs> well, so um, I, I, Brendan, I have to take another break here. Can you stick around yeah. so we can talk some more? Sure, sounds good. Okay, my guest is Brendan Beery, constitutional law professor. We're talking about the fallout from the uh, death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. When we uh, come back, I want to get into a little bit of uh, the notorious RBG's legacy 
and uh, how all of this commotion will impact that. We'll be right Hi, back. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hi, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. If you like talk radio that makes you think without telling you what to think, check out our whole show weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern at TomSumnerProgram.com. Selected segments are also available on this and other radio stations, but you can hear us anytime. Daily editions of the Tom Sumner Program repeat online all day and night on the show's website. Past shows can be found in the website archives. My long-format interviews with New York Times best-selling author photographers and writers from National Geographic as well as artists, musicians, candidates and elected officials are made possible by listeners like you. Support the Tom Sumner Program and Civilized Talk Radio. Visit our website at TomSumnerProgram.com and become a member. You can make a one-time gift or become a sustaining patron by taking the link to the Tom Sumner Program Patreon page. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Thank you, and thank you all for tuning in. You know, we know that tough times don't last, but tough people do. We've been through a lot here in Michigan. We've been through crisis before, where the country needed their countrymen and countrywomen to pitch in collectively to get through a crisis and rise to the occasion. Michigan once was the arsenal of democracy to win World War II. We need that same spirit now. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals and first responders to stop the spread and to save lives. But we need your help too. The state has launched a new volunteer website at www.michigan.gov forward slash fight COVID-19 where trained medical professionals can register to serve their fellow Michiganders by assisting hospitals in fighting COVID-19. State residents can also use the site to find out how they can help in their local communities by giving blood or donating resources or needed medical supplies. Whether you're a medical professional looking to volunteer or you're someone who can give blood or donate to your local food bank, everyone can help out. To get through this, we must all do our part. Stay home, stay safe, and save lives. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a man. 
magical place with magical charms indoors 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 take it away hey this is first ward city councilman eric mays and you're listening to the tom sumner program Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation about the uh, fallout from the death of uh, Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, a.k.a. the notorious RBG. And I'm talking with constitutional law professor Brendan Beery, who's our go-to guy on all things uh, Supreme Court. Uh, Brendan, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Thanks, Tom. As I mentioned before the break, I wanted to talk a little bit about how you know what what will justice ginsburg be remembered for her life's accomplishments or the way in which she was replaced yeah you know that's a i think that was something that she worried about um she was asked um you know back when you know sort of at the beginning of barack obama's second term uh you know what? What are your plans? Because uh, you know she's uh, obviously was getting up there in years, um, and she's had a lot of illness. That's right, <clears throat> and pancreatic cancer, as as most of us know, is uh, one of the worst kinds. It's quite frequently a death sentence. Right, right, and um, yeah, and, and you know this was her second or third bout uh, of of pancreatic cancer, and uh, and she uh, back then now famously said. Um, you know, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to retire based on who, you know, on, on who's the president and who might be the president. I'm, I'm sure uh, the American people will, will choose a president who is perfectly acceptable to me. <laughs> and, then, uh, and here we are. And I, again, I'm not opining on uh, Donald Trump. I'm saying that her. Well, her uh, her opinion her, view. her opinion certainly right. changed because she had some interesting right. things to say about the president. That's right. That's right. And uh, so there's, you know, um, uh, the name is escaping me now, but there's a there's a reporter, I believe, for PBS who had a very close relationship uh, with Ruth Bader Ginsburg and said, Nina Totenberg, I think. Yes, yes, that's it. Right. And um, and she said uh, that that uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was delighted in her own mind that she was going to be replaced by the first woman president. She assumed Hillary Clinton was going to win um, and was, was happy that she'd be able to retire, right? Uh, and and, uh, and uh, Totenberg said she likely would have retired almost immediately, right, in, uh, if Hillary Clinton had been president. Um, but then Donald Trump was elected, and she tried to hang on, um, you know, as long as she could. And uh, so clearly... You know, her thinking before, you know, she came to regret it um, that she hadn't uh, stepped down earlier because she didn't, you know, she didn't want to be on the court until the very end. Uh, but that's the situation she was in. And, and I think the reason for that is, goes to your question, right, is what is she going to be remembered for? Uh, you know, I... Uh, but she certainly people, couldn't have imagined... The, the timing of this and, and the scenario right. that's been created where there's this, you know, all of a sudden let's, let's hurry up and bury her so we can pick the next one. Right. Yeah, it's a little unseemly. Um, well, it, it and, feels uh, like that a little bit to me. Maybe not to mm-hmm. everybody, but um, it, it, 
seems like it's a little quick. I was actually kind of surprised to hear the president say he wouldn't make an announcement until after her funeral. Right. Yeah, that's, uh, and McConnell, uh, Mitch McConnell, was. it seemed like, you know, I don't think it was a secret that she was in her last days because Mitch McConnell was ready with that statement. I mean, the same night she died, uh, uh, he's, you know, he announced that they were going to replace her. Um, and uh, I do think that was in poor taste. I don't think, I think you can let us have a few hours, right, uh, you know, to reflect on uh, uh, a life well lived. Um, but when history but, looks back at this, I mean, we're talking about either a, a race to get this done before the election, um, mm-hmm. the possibility that uh, there's a, a sour grapes uh, confirmation during a lame duck, um, mm-hmm. and and the possibility of, of Democrats adding seats to the uh, uh, Supreme Court, um, all triggered by her passing and you know is is she going to be the reason that those things happened or will she be remembered for the amazing life that she led yeah that's that's you know and i think maybe maybe you know and and as history unfolds it'll it'll be the focus will be more on her and her life but certainly in the short term the unfortunate reality is that it's going to be all about this this upcoming fight and uh you know, I, I think if there is a, a lame duck um, push to, to seat somebody, and uh, I should say, if if Democrats have won uh, the Senate and the White House, and then there's a uh, this a person is seated on the Supreme Court anyway, that I think all but guarantees. I, I think at that point, Democrats would overtly, uh, explicitly uh, tell Republicans, if you do this, we're going to add seats to the Supreme Court. Um, so, you know, I don't know if, if Republicans would still do it uh, with that threat hanging over them. But um, then we get, yeah, we get into See, a See, that's a tough call because that. Republicans, even on their way out the door, would be looking at the opportunity to, you know, to influence the leaning of the court for decades mm-hmm. to come. Right, right. And then the question is at what cost? <laughs> so, uh, because, you know, that here's... Uh, an interesting uh, way to look at this, a, a colleague of mine uh, had, had mentioned this to me. Um, George W. Bush, of course, lost the popular vote the first time right, he was elected. He lost the popular vote to Al Gore. Um, he, the, you know, the, the Supreme Court gave him an assist, uh, and he became president. He's got still two. Uh, Roberts and Alito are his appointments. Um, then you have Donald Trump, who lost the popular vote, uh, he, he's now looking at his third, so that's five. Um, uh, so you have two presidents who lost the popular vote with five appointments, and you have Barack Obama, who won the popular vote twice, who was denied uh, an appointment. It's, and, the, and the Senate skews Republican because the Dakotas, each of the Dakotas, right, gets as many senators as New York and California. So... Um, you're, you've got this court that is shaping up to be a six, uh, six justice majority. Um, that that it leans well, it's, right. That's kind of controversial, right? <laughs> that's kind of controversial to have a that that it reflects um, the political will of the of the political minority uh, in the country. And um, 
So I, I think at that point, Democrats actually, you know, have to really ask the question, um, not just as a matter of political retribution, but just as a matter of balance, um, you know, whether uh, we need to address uh, the number of justices on the Supreme Court. And I don't think they will do that if, um, uh, you know, if, well, first of all, if Republicans retain the Senate, this is a non-issue. I mean, that's... Uh, right. Um, but, um, uh, you know, I, I just... Yeah, if there's a, if there's a lame duck... Uh, um, that you're playing with fire there because, uh, you know, it's interesting. You, you mentioned that FDR uh, floated the idea of packing the court back, back when the court was striking down all of his New Deal legislation. Um, right. And... Uh, and that went over like a lead balloon. I mean, even though Democrats were in control, uh, they just said, absolutely not. We're not messing around with us. You're playing with fire, um, you know, when you, when you mess around with the court like that. Um, but it looks like, you know, uh, like just about everything else in our politics, it looks like this is about to get broken. Um, and we might wind up, you know, where even, even FDR, I mean, what, one of the most powerful presidents in American history, <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, couldn't mess around with the court. And um, here we are uh, on the precipice of... Uh, messing around with of, the court. Yeah. <laughs> messing around with the court. <laughs> I guess it, that's as, as good a note to, to leave on. But, uh, Brendan, I hope you'll come back uh, in the near future. There are going to be lots of things to talk about, not only an incoming uh, Supreme Court justice, but the cases as the uh, right. session opens up the first Monday of October and, and then begins to unfold with the Affordable Care Act on November 10th and then uh, other things to follow, I'm sure. Yep, they got big cases. Well, Brendan, it's always a treat, and thank you so much for spending this hour with me. My pleasure. Thank you. All right, take care. How's uh, Brendan Beery? He is a constitutional law professor at WMU Cooley Lake, or Cooley Lake, Cooley Law in uh, Tampa. And we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program coming up uh, in just a few minutes. Hear ye! Hear ye! The Colts in session. The Colts in session now. Here come the judge. Here come the judge. Here come the judge. Stop eating that fudge. Cause here come the judge. Don't nobody budge. Cause here come the judge. Judge Shorty is presiding today. And he don't take no stuff from nobody. No kind of way. Hey boy, take off that hat. Where do you think you're at? I know where you gon' be if you don't eat my meat. I'm here to tell you. All up in the cold night. Can't nobody smoke tonight. Here come the judge. Here come the judge. case on the docket. 
You pilots, get off of my lawn. We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here.